those of you that don't know me or don't know Joe well, um, we share kids. <laughs> which means we share grandkids. Well, I'm Mark Barnes. Um, it's a privilege to be here. I've grown up in this church. It is an honor to preach this morning. I've been blessed. I'm part of a team. Uh, there are four of us that have uh, taken on the um, ministry of preaching. And so one of the greatest blessings I've had is doing this with three other guys. And um, that has been fantastic. I feel like I'm going to college again um, because these guys are brilliant and we get together, we help each other dig into the word and figure out how we're going to preach what God wants. And that's been such a blessing to me. Uh, this is the second week of Advent. Um, and for those of you that may be new to the church, we are a church in transition. Uh, we've, we've sent our pastor, Pastor Andrew B. and his family, out to Iowa to plant a church. And here we are, in transition. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know what? We are always in transition. We should be in transition. As we follow Christ, we should always be in transition. We should never be comfortable with where we're at. So this is normal. And we're seeking God and trying to follow faithfully and see what he does. I've been so encouraged by so many that have stepped into roles that probably they thought were outside of their comfort zone, and yet God is using them. Me being up here would be one of those things outside of my comfort zone. But I feel this morning like God has given me something that he wants to share with you. If you're like me, Joe, I'm so glad you, you put the title of my message out there because if you're like me most of the time i don't know what the title is i don't worry about the title unless you're the guy that has to make the title right and so last week mark and i were sitting there i said so uh i need a title for my sermon right and he said uh yeah we, we could go with the birth of christ and i said yeah we could <laughs> but i'm thinking something different i'm thinking i'm gonna go with the title of What's wrong with the world today? And I hope that as we get into the world, word, we will find that answer this morning. That's a question where you don't usually have to ask it. Think about that. People want to tell you, right? Uh, if you were at Thanksgiving, you gathered with family and friends, and I'll bet during the course of that gathering, people wanted to tell you what was wrong with the world today. If you gather around the table, if you go out with somebody, if you come to church, and I hear it all the time, well, you know, you know what's wrong. It's this. You know what's wrong? It's them. You know what's wrong? And here's what I've realized. Usually, the solution involves somebody else doing something different. First glance, our... Our passage this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 to 25. And at first look, I think you'd go, where, where are you going with this? Because I don't see that answer. 
I hope by the time we get done and unpack this, we will all see that there is an answer to the question, what's wrong with the world today? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dig into the Word. Father God, we come to you because you are the giver of your Word. We come to you because you are the one who gave us the Holy Spirit as our counselor and as our teacher. Father, I pray that you would help us not to just understand your word today, but to have to do something with it that you would be transforming us, that you would make us a people in transition as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, read with me. Uh, I think the scripture will be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." For he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. As we walk onto the stage of Matthew's gospel, it's really easy to forget that if we turn back one page, my Bible says the New Testament, turn back one more page, we're in Malachi right? It's two pages away. And yet, there's been 400 plus years of history that has happened to the Jewish people in that one page turn. And I think we need to know what has happened to God's people as we enter into Matthew's gospel, because Matthew is going to be all about talking about, hey, this had to happen because of what God promised back here. So let me, I'm not a history major. I, I, the older I get, the more I find I like history. I certainly didn't as a kid. But between these two pages of the last page of Malachi, the first page of Matthew, there are over 400 years, and we tend to call them the 400 silent years. We call them that because there is 400 years plus here where God really sent no prophet to speak on his behalf. Matthew had just laid out last week, Drew talked on the genealogy. 
And we walk through that. And Matthew is, is, is laying out some very important markers in that genealogy, in the history of God's people. And he starts out with Abraham, right? Abraham, God promised Abraham something. He said, you will be blessed. I will make you a mighty nation. And all families of the world will be blessed through you. That was a covenant. Not contingent upon anything else. God just said, this is what I'm going to do. I like that. Matthew jumped to David. David, a man after God's own heart, and he said, David, I will bless you. And your throne will be established forever. We'll see, we see that in 2 Samuel 7. He promises David. Remember, Saul was just before David, and, and David is not Saul's son. God chose David. And then he tells him, your throne will be um, established forever. But then Matthew jumps to the uh, Babylonian exile. Okay, like all of a sudden we've got a problem here because Abraham's promise that he'll be the father of a mighty nation, all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. David's promise that his throne will be established forever. And then Babylon comes. God's people who, who keep wandering away from God, keep chasing after other things. And the Babylonians come and they're conquering chunks of the world, right? And their, their strategy is we take people out of their land and we rearrange people so that you don't have a land. Your land is not your land anymore. You have no home. And that's how we keep control on, on the territories we have, have taken rule over. So most of the Jewish people are taking in, taken into exile into Babylon. Didn't God promise Abraham and David some things that seem like they're impossible to happen? Well, the Persians came in and they took over the chunks of the world. They dominated. They took rule from the Babylonians. And what we see is the Persians actually treated the Jews pretty good. We see in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah that the king of Persia allowed um, groups of Jewish people to go back to the land, to go back to Ju uh, Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the temple. We see lots of them going back. Oh, 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 maybe there's hope. Maybe there's hope that, that there is going to be a mighty nation. Maybe there's hope that there's going to be a temple. Oh, we, we don't have a king, though. See, Persia was still in charge. They let him go back. They said, but, but we're still in charge. Okay. That's where we see the end of the, New, the Old Testament coming to a close. And now we enter these 400 silent years because after Persia, we get to the Greeks. Ever heard of a guy named Alexander the Great? 
Okay? Alexander the Great just, I mean, just steamrolled through the world, taking over property, people, countries, nations. And here's the, the Greek strategy was not we're going to take people out and switch them around, move them, deport them and stuff, but they said we're going to bring our Greek culture into every place we go. We are going to make the world Hellenistic, have Greek culture. So they brought their Greek culture, they brought their Greek gods, they brought their Greek languages, and they said you will speak these things, you will do these things. You are Greek. Alexander the Great did not last very long simply because he died at an early age. We see that his generals are fighting over who's going to take power. We see that a guy named Antiochus, the fourth Epiphanes, one of the most ruthless kings that came along to inflict all kinds of evil on God's people. He came into into Jerusalem and he declared himself to be a god. He declared that he was going to um, wipe out all the Jewishness of the Jews. He was going to make them truly embrace the Greek culture. It was so bad that like, even if a Jew... Uh, observed the Sabbath, they could be killed for that. Uh, no, get to work. It's the Sabbath. You're not Jewish. He brought his Greek, temp- his Greek gods into the temple, and he said, these are your gods. He walked in and declared, I am a god. And the ultimate um, desecration that he performed in the temple was he took a pig. And he slaughtered it on the altar. He said, you're not Jews anymore. This caused a, I think, the the straw that broke the camel's back. The Jews said, okay, we can only take so much. And so we have a revolt called the Maccabean Revolt, right? Um, For those of you that have Jewish friends, um, right now, Hanukkah is a celebration of what happened during the uh, the Maccabean Revolt. They rose up against this regime that had come and desecrated their temple, and they said, no more. We will die, but we will fight. And they did. And they were able to overthrow the Greeks that had come into their city. And that lasted for about two years. Until the new kid on the block, the Romans came along. The brutal Romans, who said, hey, we're in charge now. That's where we land in Matthew. We have to understand and have the mindset of history of what had taken place all these years. For, for almost 500 years, God's people have been kicked around, stomped on, abused, and under the rule of foreign governments. Realize our country is about half that age. Imagine if we had been occupied by foreign rule all this time, your whole lives, and 
there's talk by the religious people that there's this Messiah, our hope, that is going to come and save us. I don't know about you, but I think it would be hard to have hope. Because not only have everything I've known been under rule, that we have not allowed to be a mighty nation, we have not allowed to be a nation, really, in so many ways, for my entire life, but for my kids' entire life, for my parents' entire life, it's all we've known. And yet there's this talk of this one, the Messiah, that is going to come. Okay. I think if you ask them, what's wrong with the world today? I'll bet they would be willing to answer. I'll bet you didn't even have to ask. As a matter of fact, there were, there were different factions that they said, oh, I can tell you, and this is what we need to do, right? That's, that's usually how it comes about. I can tell you what's wrong in the world, and here's, here's what we need to do. There were the Pharisees. You've heard of the Pharisees. We're going to enter into Matthew. We're gonna, uh, and by the way, uh, I, I haven't been given permission. Can I get an odd mark? I'm going to tell them where we're headed in January. Okay, I got an odd from, from a brother on the preaching team. But we are going to continue walking through Matthew. We, we, this week we just got together and we said, it feels like God's just saying, hey, keep going. So we're going to be encountering the Pharisees a lot. The Pharisees were a group. They were the, made up mostly of middle to lower class people. Um, they were... Um, most of the rabbis came out of this group, the Pharisees. They were a group that said, here's the solution to what's wrong with our world today. We need to go back to what God has called us to. And I go, agreed. We need to embrace the law, all of the broad law, the, the written law, the oral law. And the oral law was just interpretation of the written law. And they were the guys to tell you what that meant and what you could and couldn't do. And, the, and really, they were the... Um, the religious police, because their feeling was like, if we want to solve this problem of what's wrong with our world today, then we need to get everybody on board and, and doing the right things, and then maybe God will love us, and maybe God will send the Messiah to save us. You had the Sadducees. Now, growing up, I used to think Pharisees, Sadducees, Probably just different denominations or something, right? Um, Here's a a major difference. The Sadducees really embraced the Hellenistic views. When when Greece came in and brought their culture, their language, and all of that, they went, ooh, I kind of like that. I think that's how you should run a country. I think that there's a lot of good things that we can get from that. And so um, they generally were of the upper class. They tended to be the wealthy. uh, And the high priest, the high priest came from this group. 
The high priest was appointed by Herod the king, the king who was appointed by Rome. So think of this, the high priest of the Jewish people was appointed by really someone that the Romans appointed and said, you pick. It was a Sadducee. And here's what the Sadducees believed. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in the afterlife. And so you see this, this headbutting with the Pharisees a lot because they're going, no, this, this is the solution to what's wrong with our world today. And the Pharisees are like, no, this is the solution. You have the zealots. One of Jesus' followers was a zealot. Jesus gathered a group of really different men. We'll get there. But one was a zealot, and a zealot, really, I think of them more like terrorists because they said, whatever it takes to overthrow this government that is inflicting their will on us, we're in. Killing, disrupting, if this, this is the way to solve the problem of what is wrong with our world today. We need to all rise up. And if we would all rise up, we could overthrow them. And then the world would be much better. There were many others as well. But I think among the common people, there was this question. God, where are you? We call it the, seven, uh, the 400 silent years, okay? I think they felt that. Like, God, where are you? There's been a prophet all this time that would at least call us back. At least tell us what you're thinking. Help us, God. Where are you, God? God, do you care? God, do you hear? God, will you listen? Will you respond? Will you say something? Because I know we all talk about the covenant you made with Abraham, that had been handed down generation after generation after generation. This is who we are. This is who our God is. We know the promise you made to David. This is who we are. This is who God is. And our current situation doesn't seem to line up with any of that. I was listening to a rabbi, current day rabbi, talk about why he didn't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. Interesting stuff. And it came down to two main points. First of all, God, the holy God, would never take on human form. So, the Messiah won't be God God would never take on human form. And the second thing is, when the Messiah comes, he will come to reestablish Israel, reestablish the temple, and bring peace in the world. And Christians talk about that happening at his second coming, but we don't believe in his second coming, so that's why I don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. We're reading the book of Matthew. Here's what I think is almost funny. Matthew, remember who he was? He was one of Jesus' followers, but he had been a tax collector. I think Matthew said, here's the solution. I just need to survive. 
I'm good at certain things. You need me to collect the taxes for you? I'm okay with that. And actually, I think I can do pretty well at that. And here is Matthew now. Something major has been changed in his life. There has been transformation that has taken place, right? I mean, major transformation to the fact that he writes this book. And and I love our theme for Advent. Is it up there? Yeah. Spoken and fulfilled. That's what Matthew wants to keep saying. He didn't get it at first. He didn't even see it at first until this man Jesus came. And he was with Jesus. And I know Jesus kept saying, well, gentlemen, this had to happen. Don't you remember in the scriptures where this was said? I think those two guys on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus walked with them and he laid out the scriptures from the beginning to the end, all that had to happen to the Messiah, and they went, and it says they ran off to tell the disciples. And I think they talked and they went, Of course. How did we miss this? Of course. And here's Matthew going, I want to make sure my readers, and he was writing primarily to Jewish readers, but we get to have this today. He wants to make sure that they don't miss it. Like, can, can I connect the dots for you? This had to happen. There's so much in this passage that you know, when, when I was given this passage, I went, oh, the birth of Christ. <laughs> okay. What, what do you say that's new, right? Um, sure, we've heard this story. There's so much happening here that I wish I had two weeks to preach because I, I got a whole other sermon that has nothing to do with this. <laughs> it's all about Joseph and who Joseph was and all these other things. But I want to focus on two things that Matthew focused on, these two names, because he said this had to happen. This had to happen. The angel said, name your son this. His name will be Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And his, uh, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Think about what this rabbi said, why they didn't believe Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. God would never take on human form. The Messiah will reestablish Israel, reestablish the temple, bring about peace. I read this and I think Matthew is addressing those two things because that was probably the Jewish mindset here in Matthew, and it still is. Let's talk about Emmanuel. This is a title that God says, the angel said he will be called, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Hang on. This Jewish rabbi said God would never take on human form. Now, you might go, think about that. That is a high regard for this God, this almighty God, this powerful God, that so often we worship pretty trivially, trivially, lightly. We take it pretty lightly, but for a Jew, really, you know, I look and so many, they didn't even want to write his name down. And they said, 
God would never wrap himself in a human form and take on this corrupt, dirty, no-good human form because he is God. But Matthew says they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. John 1.14, I love the way John writes his, his gospel. And he said the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? That word dwelt among us means tabernacled with us, took up residence with us, put his tent up among us. That's this Jesus. They're saying God did become human. Even though he shouldn't have. Even though it's hard to believe. And I want us to think about that today, that that shouldn't have happened. And yet, God was willing to do that. Why? Let me read from Hebrews 2, because I love this. Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. I think it gives a, a picture of why God would be willing to come down and put on human form and dwell among us. And there is a really good reason for it. It says this, Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that, though death he, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not uh, angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's our God. That's this Messiah that should have never, ever, ever put on human flesh, human form, but he did so he could be one of us, so he could be our great high priest, so that he could experience all the temptations we have, so that he could overcome death and we could be freed from the bondage of fear and death. Joseph also was told to give the child the name Jesus, which means um, really in its form, God saves, God redeems. But it goes on, it says, because he will save his people from their sins. Hang on. I, I want you to think about this. Maybe you've heard this a lot, so you're like, amen. Rhonda, can I get an amen? All right, there we go. So you're like, yeah, okay, uh, he'll save us from our sins. Think about all that we walk through as far as being a Jew at this time, right? What's wrong with our world today? Well, it's them, it's the Romans, it's this, it's that, it's those. And here, the angel is telling Joseph, here's the problem. I want you to listen to it. Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. You see, the problem and we don't like to hear this because we go, the problem is that and that and that. And he says, the problem is you. The problem is your sin. 
the London Times, the, the place I got the title for my message today, and a brother gave me this great, great story. The London Times, in the early 1900s, sent out an inquiry to a bunch of famous authors in London asking this very question. What's wrong with the world today? Write an essay and we'll publish it. G.K. Chesterton, a, a lay theologian and writer, responded and answered their question this way. Dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton understood exactly what we're seeing the angel tell Joseph here about this Messiah. Oh, we have a whole list of things that are wrong. Bottom line, I am. Okay, let's get real here. You're in church and you go, amen, got it. This is church. You're supposed to say those things. Jesus came to save me from my sin. Amen. But if we were real this morning, if we were talking, honest, wide open, you go, that's a great answer. But it's doing nothing for me. Because the real things that are, that are in me, that, are, that I'm struggling with, that make my life miserable, the most difficult things in my life may be things like where our country is headed. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids, your health, your job, grief, finances, loneliness, feeling of I have no power. I'm under everybody else's rule. So can we get real for a minute? That's nice you talk about Jesus coming to save us from our sins. But the reality is i got to walk out of these doors in a few minutes. And this is my life. Like the Jewish people here in Matthew, I think often we cry out to God. And we say, God, where are you? God, help me. Do you hear? Do you care? Can you do anything? Because it doesn't seem like it. Am I too honest? But I would say the same thing often, like the Jewish people, we want God to save us from our situation and our circumstances more than we want him to save us from our sin. Let me give you an example that may help you understand what I'm talking about. This is, this is where I think the rubber meets the road. This is where I think we have to wrestle and deal with this because this is what I think God offers in Jesus Christ. This very thing became so much more real to me a few years ago when I unintentionally walked into a situation where I saw God just bring understanding to this, that Jesus came to save us from our sins. I don't think it's an accident that I was asked to preach this. Because a few years ago, I got a call on a Saturday afternoon from a friend, and they said, hey, Mark, can you pray for me? I'm struggling. My world's just crashing in on me. 
I'm dealing with fear and anxiety, depression, and it just like it, it feels overwhelming. And everything in me, I, the words came out, absolutely. And everything in me wanted to help this young man and wanted to pray for him. And, okay, I'm sorry, but I, I'm real, okay? I try to be. In the back of my head, it's Saturday afternoon, and I'm going, I can pray for you right now in a few minutes, and I hang up the phone, and I'll go on my merry way. I felt the Spirit of God say, would you go to his house and pray for him? Okay. Now we're looking at an hour and a half, two hours, I don't know. Right? And so I am battling this battle in the back of my head. This is spiritual battle, right? And there's a part of me that goes, let's just pray as honest and as open with God as you can. And then let's go on with the day. And yet I felt overwhelmed. God said, would you go? I said, are you at home? He said, yeah. I said, I'm headed your way. I'll come and pray. He said, okay. I got in the car and I'm driving. I'm like, okay, God. You told me to go, but I have no idea what I'm going to say or what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and I'm going to pray, but I don't know that it's any different than praying for him here. But I'm going to trust that you called me to go, and so I'm going to trust that you will help me to see what I need to see. You'll help me to say what I need to say. And I will pray for my brother. I got there. I walked in. We started talking. And he said, here, here's the deal. I've been dealing with this for a long time. Uh, and I've prayed. I've prayed like crazy. And God doesn't seem to do anything. My prayers don't seem to work. Nothing's changed. I said, okay. Let's pray. And as I was about to pray, I felt prompted by God to say, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. I said, is there sin in your life? I said, we all sin, but is there sin in your life? Stuff that you just hold on to and you go, I, don't, I know God doesn't want this, but I can't let go of it. I don't want to let go of it. He said, yeah. I said, are you willing to confess that to me? Are you willing to repent? Which just means, God, like, I don't want that anymore. Like, I've been holding on to it, and I say I don't want it, but I've been holding on to it. Repent just goes, yeah, God, like, I don't want this. Are you willing to do that? I said, yeah. I said, is there others? Is there anything else? He looked down and he said, yeah. I said, are you willing to tell me that and confess that and repent and give that to God? He said, yeah. And we did that. I said, now let's pray. And we prayed together. And I can tell you, something happened. When we were both done, we both went, what just happened? God stirred and moved in him. Now, is he perfect? No. 
But he felt like God was just releasing him from stuff. Why? Well, because he wasn't asking God to. And this is what I said to him. I said, let me ask you this. When you say, I have this sin that I'm holding on to, but I'm praying God doesn't do anything, I said, can I, can I put that into words and see if this is right? What you're really saying, God, can I, will you let me do what I want to do and just make me feel okay about it? I said, yeah, that's true. I said, God will not answer that prayer. Jesus came to save us from our sin. All these things that we've talked about, those are real, legitimate things that do bring bondage, that do bring heartache, that bring division, all of that. So hear me this morning that I'm not saying, so, don't worry about that stuff. But, You cannot enter into those things until you've let God, the Messiah, Jesus, do what he came to do, and that's to save you from your sin. Drew talked about in Christ. He did that short series. In Christ we are justified. That means made right before God. I love the picture that we are wrapped in Christ. So I stand before God and I know I am not righteous at all. And yet he looks at me and he doesn't see me. He sees me wrapped in Christ. He goes, you are, you are my son. You are perfect. I go, no, I'm not. He goes, oh, Jesus is. But then he also talked about sanctified in Christ. And that is the ongoing work. And so this morning, I don't know where you're at. But I hope that the Holy Spirit is taking this and helping you realize Jesus, the Messiah that we're reading about here, born of a virgin, came to save us from our sin. Do you want that? Do you need that? I do. Let me just share some of the things that might be going through your head right now. Lies. Lies. I would tell you that these are not of God. You might hear something like, as you're wrestling with this, as the Holy Spirit's talking to you from His Word this morning, and you feel like, God, I need to do something here. I need to let you have this. You might hear things like, You know God hates you because of your sin. Just this week I had a friend tell me about his friend who said, God could never love me. I've done too many bad things. That is a flat-out lie. Jesus came to save you from that. God put on human form to die for you. That doesn't sound like a God that hates you because of what he came to save you from. So if you think God hates me because of my sin, that is a lie. You might hear this. Come on, we know who you are, right? We know who you are. Oh, you're feeling like God's stirring in you and you want to respond to that. You want to ask for forgiveness and repentance and you want to give that to God. Tomorrow's coming and we know where this goes, right? You'll be back. You'll be who you are because you can't be anybody else. Can I tell you that is a lie? 
Jesus died to continually shape you and take your sin. It's that ongoing confession. And he says, got it. I died for it. Now, let me shape you to be more like God's child. So that's a lie. He wants you to know that. He wants to know how dearly loved you are. Here's another lie. You're good. Come on, look around the room. You're all right. And I'm just trying to throw this out because I, all of these have gone through my head sometimes, okay? So, but I go, these are the things I know that Satan wants to just go, come on now, let's, let's, you're good. Would you, let, would you let God shine the light into your heart today and go, God, anything that does not align with who you are, what you desire, would you let me see that? The older I get, I've told somebody this week, my discipleship group, I said, the older I get, the hard thing is, the more sinful I realize I am. Would you let God shine a light in and go, okay, hey, can I have that? Just that? Yeah, come on. That's why Jesus Christ came, to save us from our sin. Here's the last thing I think you might hear. There might be others, but do it later. Think about it later. Screw tape letters. Uh, I, I love where, where in the screw tape letters an, an older demon teaching a younger demon goes, hey, so, uh, if, a, if a, a Christian is thinking seriously about something, wrestling with something, tell him he's hungry. Tell him he's got stuff to do. It'll be here. You can think about it later. You can, you can respond to God later because it's never as important later. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is causing your heart to wrestle. And here's what I know. Not for condemnation. When we read this, this is an amazing story. Because it's God, the Messiah. And he says, I have come to dwell among you to save you from your sins. And that is a celebration we're going to sing. I'm going to do a benediction. I'm going to ask that if, if the Holy Spirit's wrestling with stuff in you, don't let that go. If you just want to sit in your seat afterwards and you just need to think about that. I had a young man years ago say, hey, something in the sermon hits me and then, and then like we sing and all go and it's like, oh, okay. He goes, I, I just need to sit and think about that. So if that's what you need to do, I would encourage you sit and stay and wrestle and pray. And know that I will be up here. If you want somebody to come and pray with, uh, my wife Kathy will be up here. So women, if you want to come up here, she'll be here. We have some uh, people from the prayer team, pray team, that like if they're around or up here, and you just go, can you just pray with me? I don't know if I'm ready to tell you what it is, but could you just pray with me? That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's Advent. That's the freedom that Jesus Christ offers. But he doesn't let you keep your sin he goes, that will kill you and make you feel good. He says, give it to me. I died for it. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing. Father God.
I thank you that when we read these words, we can go to condemnation. Because, Father God, I know it's in me. Prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. And you know who we are. And you love us even so. Father, I pray these would be words of encouragement that say, you have come to redeem us, to release us from the bondage of sin so that we can live as your people, so that your word makes impact on us, so that when we pray, it's to our heavenly Father, our Dad, who loves us dearly. Holy Spirit, do a work in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.